from the wind and a refuge from a storm, like streams of water in a wasteland, like the shade of a massive cliff on a worn out land. Then the eyes of those who can see will no longer be blind. The ears of those who can hear will listen. The minds of the rash will know and comprehend and the tongues of those who stammer will speak fluently and plainly. Then a fool will no longer be called honorable nor a villain considered respectable. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. After college at, at UT, hook him, go Arch Manning, he's going to be great. Um, we, I, took a tra- I took a bus all the way to Maine and started hiking the Appalachian Trail, and I brought a tent with me. I had a, my pack was over, overweight for a lot of re- reasons, but I brought a tent because I grew up going to Boy Scouts. I grew up on family camping trips, and you had to have a tent. Even though in Texas, the main reason to have a tent was because of mosquitoes. Because um, you, know, you can only camp in like fall and winter and spring. Um, and if you can get that winter camping, it's really nice. But the kind of rain sometimes then. But spring and fall, it's like it's mosquito high season anywhere I would go um, in East Texas. But I had a tent because that's what I, I thought I needed the whole time. So I got up, got up to Maine and Mount Katahdin, which is in the center of Maine, and started hiking south and found out the um, you know, New Englanders and people on the East Coast have been hiking these trails for a long time, and they realized that people are going to stay there. And so they built these shelters all along the trail. And so throughout the 2,000-some-odd miles of the Appalachian Trail, every three to five miles is a, um, a shelter structure with usually it has to do with like it's three walls and a roof and a floor and some kind of water source nearby. Some of them are old like hermit cabins that are kind of fun to stay in because um, I was like, there used to be just hermits. People like would just leave and go in the woods for, you know, 50 years. And a lot of the national, like Shenandoah National Park, there was a bunch of hermits because there were people who, whenever the federal government started the park, they would um, negotiate with them that they could stay on the land. And then when they died, it would pass the federal government. So even in the 70s, there were still some hermits living in Virginia in these little cabins. Um, but then now I got to stay in. It was great. But uh, it didn't take me long to realize when I was going down and carrying my, my, my tent with me that I didn't need to pack it that whole day. There was a shelter in front of me, and I, I was already carrying a lot of weight, and you know, a few pounds adds up when you're going 25 miles a day. But I had to um, you know, sacrifice something in order to, to give up my tent, and what that was is, is kind of sleeping in public. So when, you, when you're in a tent, in your own tent, you, you control that space. If you're in a shelter... There may be no one in a shelter. There may be three people. Most of them are designed for eight. But um, there may be 12 people. Um, but it's still, it's this kind of camaraderie and solidarity that if, if there's, you know, if you are there, we will make space for you. Um, it, it was a powerful thing because you'd need shelter on the way. The one night I didn't get shelter was in, in, the, in the Smokies. And it was because there were a bunch of weekenders who didn't actually give space. There was, there was room, but not, not to them. And it was, a, it was a rough night. It was a rough night. Shelter is necessary to survive in this world. My friends, we are continuing our series on survival, on, on looking at how to survive in the wild, but also the wilds of this broken world and how to connect what God is doing through the scriptures to how we can live in this world and not just survive, but thrive. Last week, I talked about um, my, my first rule of survival, which is don't panic, because if you're panicking, you can't do anything else. So that's the first thing you have to, have to drill into yourself. 
is don't panic. And then most experts would, would follow a kind of rule of thumb after that, which is you can survive about three hours without shelter, about three days without water, and about three weeks without food. Now, for some of us, we might inverse that and think that I could never survive three hours without food. Um, but, it's, but it's okay. Your, your body really can do it. And sometimes you may think, like, well, shelter, you know, it's not super important. It's not, it's not the most important. Why would, why would people prioritize that? You know, we don't, in this season in Texas, we don't really have to worry about rainstorms coming, right? That's not really what we need the shelter from. But it is, it is kind of warm outside, and it would be hard you know, it'd be hard to live without some kind of respite from, from the weather. As well, if you're in a survival situation, you, can't, you don't know what's going on, and, and odds are something dramatic is taking place. That's why, why shelter is so important, especially in, in situations where you are exposed. Now, now the word exposed is, is a word I, I, you know, I learned as a child, um, but in, in kind of survival and mountain climbing situations, it has a very different meaning. Because if you're, if you're talking about a mountain and what the, the mountain's exposure is, it's basically how close you are to dying. Um, if it's a very exposed mountain, that means if you slip and fall, that's it. Um, if it's not very expo- exposed, you can slip and fall and, and you're okay. Um, that's, I, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very jarring to get to that point in having like, oh, this is, I remember when I was in Colorado once and looking out, it's like, this is a really exposed situation that oftentimes, you know, I, growing up, it was like exposure was about like how much skin you're showing and the clothes you're wearing. It's like, it's very different on the mountain. Um, but it's, it's also something, exposure is something that happens in our, in our moral life as well, in our, in our souls as well. How, how, what are the stakes involved with how we are living our life? How exposed we are to the world, how precipitous our journey is. Now, some of us are in a very comfortable position that we have a lot of, we have a lot of um, robust fail-safes for things that could happen in our life. We are protected from contingencies. Some of us are not. Some of us may feel like we have been walking on the edge of a cliff for a long time, and we don't know when it is going to stop. In either situation, though, we need shelter. We need protection. We need, we need a safe space in order to survive. When you think about your soul, when you think about the souls of the people around you, the essence of who you are and how you interact with the world, there is a lot of exposure in this world. There's a lot of danger, not just for our children, for each of us. When you, you, know, when you leave your parents' home, it's not like you stop getting into dangerous situations. The prophet Isaiah lived in a period of Jewish history called the exile. So this was after the first part of the Old Testament, after the, after the judges, after the kings, after you know, King David, yay, King David, and King Saul, and King Solomon, and then a bunch of bad kings for a long time. And it was, if you go through the book of King, first and second Kings, it's like, and then, you know, Jehoiakim was king, and he was a very bad king, and he turned away from God, and he did all these bad things. And the next one, King Rehoabam was the bad king, and he, on and on and on. Um, then Josiah was a good king. He was a good guy. Uh, but, but then after him, it was, it was bad again. So in this time, at that time, um, the, Israel had split into a northern kingdom and, and the southern kingdom of Judah, and the northern kingdom had been absorbed by Assyria, and the southern kingdom was eventually absorbed by Babylon. And they were exiled. The people were exiled. And why this matters especially is like, what does it mean to believe in that God has chosen you? You are special and specific people and has offered you this promised land, but then you are no longer there. You are taken from there. 
You're taken from your home. You are in exile. How do you have faith in times of exile? How do you survive in a strange land? I thought God was going to protect us. I thought that was the whole point. Like we follow God and God protects us, right? So many of the Psalms are also filled with this. One of the, the starkest Psalms is Psalm 137. And it starts with, by the rivers of Babylon, there we wept when we remembered Zion. We wept in memory of that place. What should we do in those times? What should we think of God? Now, in this earlier part of Isaiah, in chapter 32, there's this passage that I read earlier about what a ruler does and what a king does. Some of it is, is to say, this is why, this is why it happened. Because a king promotes justice and righteousness. Rulers govern through justice and righteousness. Each like a shelter from the wind. A refuge from the storm. A shade from a massive cliff in a worn out land. The king is not the one who provides shelter. It is justice and righteousness that provide shelter. The church can offer shelter in this world. The church can offer shelter for our soul. The church at its best offers a place where Jesus is present, where the Holy Spirit is moving and active, and where God the Father is worshipped, where people care for each other, lift each other up. But the church has not always been at its best. And we must admit that and be honest with that. Our God is a God of truth. We do not need to lie about the state and history of the church. The father of lies, the devil wants us to lie about it, wants to, us to cover over past sins of the church and pretend that things are fine. But when we are lying to ourselves, we're keeping God away. We're keeping God from moving in this space. Thinking about Isaiah and the church and the history of the church makes me think about how looking for shelter in a survival situation, looking for shelter in the wild can inform how we are honest about the state of the church, of the people of God in this place. When you're looking for shelter, when you're trapped on a desert island or you're in a desert or you're in a jungle or things like that, there's four, um, four W's. It's really handy to remember. Four W's you're looking for for a shelter. The first W is, is wood. The second is water. The third is wind. And the fourth is widowmakers. But I'll, I'll get to those. <laughs> the first is, is wood. Be sure to ask yourself the following questions each, each time you set for camp. Do I have a close source of wood to accomplish any tasks I plan for this camp? Do I have a source of firewood? Is there enough deadfall or cut Wood, depending on what I have. Is there enough wood around or do I need to, to saw it to, to find it? Are there construction materials nearby that I can use to build the shelter or framing or cooking gear or any other crafting to survive? The second W is water. Is there a water source within a short distance of the camp that will be convenient for easy collection? Sometimes there's water nearby and there may be a dead moose in it. It's not good water. If you see a dead moose, don't drink that water. Is the water source flowing or standing still? 
A standing source will evaporate in summer and poses a threat of stagnation. It's usually pretty bad. Usually don't drink from standing water. Any ground source water will probably need to be boiled, um, but both you know, filtering and boiling is, is preferable. But what is the water source large enough to hold fish? Could you, could you fish? Could you find food in it? Is it large enough to gather mammals on the banks that you could trap? The third is, is wind. Wind, wherever you choose camp, wind is a concern for the threat of fires running out of control, but also for the ability uh, to combat and protect convenient breezes that can, can help. The fourth W is, is widowmakers, which I had to explain to, to my wife Alina the other day when I was reading over the sermon. Um, it's a standing tree that may fall, and then suddenly your spouse is a widow. Um, you want to avoid that. You want to look and see, wait a minute, is there a branch that could fall on me, or is there another danger around that could cause, make this camp be unsafe. And, and these, these four W's, I think, can also inform how we understand the church, what the church can be at its best, how the church can be a source of shelter in this world. The first W is wood, wood for fuel, wood for building supplies. Is there enough fuel for what we need? Is there enough fuel for what God is doing here? Is there enough wood to build more? Is there enough to keep the fire going? Do we have the resources we need for what God is calling us to do in this place? Or do we need to find more resources? Are we as a church giving enough for what God is doing here? Are we responding to God's call on this place? It's a deep and important question. It's one I often bristle at because of my own past personal experience that my, my grandfather, whose literal name was Mac, Mac Pruitt, he was a construction worker down in, in Texas City, but he left a Methodist church because the preacher came and asked him um, to tithe more. And so he just went to the next one down the street. Um, he was like, no one's going to tell Mac Pruitt what to give. Um, he's a very generous man, but that was, that was the line he crossed. And that was, that was a story that, that stunned me as a child. And when I went through ministry, I was like, and I called him Daddy Mac. That's really did. I called him Daddy Mac. Um, it's like, what would Daddy Mac think about this? So, so it, makes me, it makes me bristle sometimes. But thinking about what are the resources that we have as a whole congregation and are we putting them to what God is calling us to do? Are we, are we using that? Are we fueling God's spirit in this place? Thank you for grabbing a fan. It's, this service will be great. At 11, is going to be dreadful. Um, we're on a 32-month wait for a new AC unit. Um, because of delay. So like, even if we paid, like, paid it for right now um, to get the units that we have in the gym to replace it. So we're, we're working, we're adapting one of those resources. So that's not because we're avoiding keeping upkeep. upkeep. It's, like, it's one of those delays. So we just brought some fans. It's, it's tolerable. It's fine. We're worshiping together. But that's, that's one of those examples of what are the resources that we are bringing together to offer God in this place. And I think, you know, HVAC is never mentioned in the Bible, but comfort is, <laughs> and offering space for people. The next W is the water of life. Does our shelter have water? Are we drawing people into new life with Jesus? Are we baptizing people regularly? Are we baptizing children? Are we baptizing adults? Are we offering new professions of faith? Are we a place where lives are changed? And that's honestly, for me, that's the, biggest, that's the biggest question. More than attendance, more than activities, it's are people's lives being changed in this space? The third is wind. Are we giving protection to people here? Can people come to church and, and Bee Creek and find protection? Are they less exposed in this space 
than they would be out in the world? Or do they feel more exposed? Do they feel like the vultures are outside the church or inside the church? And that, I think, is the church at its worst, when someone doesn't want to come because they feel like there are vultures in the church who are ready to pick and nag and tear people down instead of lift them up. Christians have been acting like vultures in the past, in the history, instead of protecting those who walk through the doors, loving those who walk through the doors. Christians have turned on each other. Christians have become Pharisees to each other instead of people who offer grace. And then the fourth W is widowmakers. Is there anything hanging over our head that could fall at a moment? Are we lying about it or pointing it out? And this means looking to our future as a church, looking to our future as a congregation. Now, at the end of the summer, we're going to have a set of vision team meetings, and those dates will be in the newsletter that's coming out, and those are going to cover a lot of different areas in the church of ways of gathering the congregation together to see where we see ourselves in the next five years, where we would like to be, where we need to prioritize, what are the dangers coming up, and what are the opportunities. And those are not just for members, those are for everybody involved to be a part of those conversations as a way that we can look honestly at our space, look honestly at our shelter to see if there are any widow makers or if God is offering us a new path. That is the shelter that we can be. But as Isaiah says, a king and ruler promotes justice and promotes righteousness. The church that is true to God is a place with justice and righteousness, with holiness. If we are not making people holy, if we are not offering a path of discipleship, we are not being the church. If we are not offering people new experience with Jesus, if people just come because they've always come before or because they feel like they should be a part of church or because that's just where their friends are, we are not offering Jesus in this space. We can be more than that. We can be more than that. I'm, I'm hopeful about our church. I'm hopeful about our presence here, the new life that is happening here. I'm hopeful about the conversations I had with families interested in baptism. I'm hopeful about the conversations I had with kids during VBS about hearing about Jesus in a new and fresh way. My brother's survivals, my brothers and sisters, survival in the wild and survival in the world are not so different. We need shelter. We need shelter before anything else. We need a safe place to be and to grow. We need a place for transformation. We can only be that together, and it takes commitment. It takes a commitment from the people who are here, but it also takes commitment to receive new life, to receive new vision, to receive the possibility that God is doing something new. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for offering us new life. Thank you for giving us hope. Please remind us that we are safe in your arms and under your wings, and especially your grace. Help us to be the people we were created to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.